welcome to Guidepost to the Crossroads. My name is William Ramada, and today I have this poem for you. It's called Catch a Wave, and it comes from the book Between the Words. So here we are, Catch a Wave. Relationships, you know, they would you know, naturally gravitate toward duality between himself and the world. To know himself, he needs to know the world, and vice versa. Like, so every every relationship we have, we have to know the other person, um, the workplace, the the culture, and that world becomes to know us. It has to, otherwise, that relationship doesn't exist. If your spouse or significant other does not know you, this relationship is not truly going to exist. So neither himself or the world can exist alone in this conceptual reality. We we need the two for comparison. He, He can only know himself to be tall if he thinks that others are short. He can only know that he exists within his body if he thinks there is a world outside of it. And he can only know that there is a world if he thinks that he exists independent from it. Uh, I believe we are independent of it, but at the same time we are a unit, we are a community, we are unity, we are all a part of it. Our independence comes from our own minds um, because we are not truly independent. I mean, we try to be a lot of times. Most of the time, probably, we try to be independent of it, but we are not. I mean, just take a look around and see how things work. So once the mind gets its first split between what is me and not me, Then it will get endlessly fractured as it attempts to divide up every aspect of our reality. This is like the thinker and the thought. We've talked about thoughts plenty of times. It is like the feeler and the feeling, the good and the bad, the ups and downs, you know, so on. Right? You have the two aspects. And then these fragments of our mind... uh, will engage in endless friction where one part of our mind wants to control the other. We, we talked about the how we thought or how we think we can control thoughts. And this is like that. It's like where one part of our mind wants to control the other, like the thinker wants to control the thoughts. I like how Alan Watts puts it. In his book, Out of Your Mind, he says, And because we're split-minded, we're always dithering. Is the choice I'm about to make from the higher self or the lower self? Is it of the spirit or of the flesh? Is the message I receive from God or the devil? And nobody can decide, because if you knew how to choose, you would have to. You could think about it until you're blue, but you'll never get the answer because the problems of life are so subtle that to try to solve them would beg principles. 
even if those vague principles come in the form of specific moral instructions, is completely impossible. Mm. What a thought that is. You know, you can think about it until you're blue. And you will never get the answer. You know, it's, oh, wow, it's just Alan Watts. So as our polarity, as the polarity between the experiencer, which, which would be you or me, and what is experienced, everything that's around us, uh, continues to develop within a child's psyche. So he's going to experience himself more and more as an object. We get these mental images, and that is what's witnessed rather than the subject that is witnessing his experience, these, these mental images that we have. right? So instead of us experiencing these things, we get these ideas of what we think they should be. And, and the child may first identify himself to a sound, like his own name or the word I, right? Because we, we identify as I or me. And this is uh, in the child's mind, and it becomes a thought. And then when, when the child continually thinks of himself as an I, the thought is formed to represent himself. Just like when a, a parent calls you by your name, you begin to identify with that name, and that is who you become. So now the child thinks that I is who he is. Eckhart Tolle says it like this, the next steps are thoughts of me and mine to designate things that are somehow part of I. When my toy breaks or is taken away, intense suffering arises, not because of any intrinsic value that the toy has, but because of the thought of mine. The toy became part of the child's developing sense of self, of I. It's an interesting thought. You know, it's not because of the value, it's because of, of, the, of the object itself, but it's because of who you believe that you are. And so that, that means that the child's sense of self that he calls me then absorbs more concepts from his form of self-image. You know, the, the initial self-image is typically composed of labels. Uh, we know that the, <laughs> the world is full of labels. And these are labels that, have, that he has gathered from his early interactions with people, beginning from... His parents, right? So, and like I said before, his parents frankly referred to him by a name and made remarks on his characteristics. So he starts to think of himself as an entity called, we'll just say my name, William, and I am male, I am white. Uh, at that time, I wasn't tall at all, but maybe I was short, tall, cute, ugly, polite, rude, whatever. But so now I am William and I am labeled with these things. So, and the label 
the label like name, like gender, race, physical attributes, um, my personality, they start off as just plain knowledge for the child, right? So the child knows that he is male, like he knows that the sky is blue. This is what you are taught. But as the child goes through experiences that involve discriminatory treatments towards him or others based on these labels, then the labels start to take on different meanings for him as it gets further tangled up with his identity and emotions. And we can really see that in the world today. Um, the labels are just so out there. I mean, the news, the media, Facebook is on everything. Everything is labeled and people identify themselves with these labels and it becomes very, very emotional. And if somebody disagrees with what you say, uh, now they, or they call it canceled, I guess, uh, just because you disagree, because their label does not match your label. It's just crazy because we're thinking of our emotions instead of our thoughts, instead of being rational, instead of being logical. We're dealing with emotions, which is tied to our identity. So when the child witnesses social situations where, let's say, good-looking people tend to receive a lot of attention, and we know that's true. We look at magazines and TV, right? It's slowly changing. But while the not-so-good ones tend to be ignored in a way, and that combined with his own feelings towards people's appearances along with his experience of others' treatment of him based on his appearance, he may start to judge people based on their appearance and make his appearance a large part of his identity. I know I saw that through school. Cause, uh, I had acne really bad when I was a young teenager, and some would say I was ugly or some would say I was dirty because I had it. And so, of course, in my mind, I, th I thought for a long time, I was like, I really thought I was ugly. I did have these ugly things on my face, my neck, whatever. And I felt really low and down and outcasted for a long time. It took me a long, a long time to get over that. But uh, that's just an example of how we, we take the labeling and our appearance and the emotions. Because when you're young, especially a young teenager, you want to be involved and you want to be accepted among your peer group. And when people start identifying you as this or that and you do not get accepted within that peer group, um, that's when your emotions come in and your emotions, which are tied to your identity and you're not thinking rationally. You, you're only believing what you're told instead of what you really know. And this is something we don't really want to be part of our identity. So subsequently, um, he may feel and act superior or insuperior, depending on how it works, uh, to the other people if he thinks he is good-looking or ugly or you feel inadequate and withdraw from social situations like I did. 
if he thinks that he is ugly. You know, it's not. It's not easy. It's it, it's a hard thing of life when you go through something like this. And uh, when you're feeling insuperior to others, but when you take that insuperior uh, feelings and you start attacking other people, it is no better than somebody that is superior that attacks somebody they think is lower than them. And this polarization just goes back and forth. You're just fighting each other for things that really doesn't matter. You know, if we just came together and worked as a community, treated each other as good people, then it would be a better world. I was just thinking, you know, because when the child um, encounters discriminatory acts towards him based on race, while well, others being exposed by anti-racist materials from school and media, he may start to see himself as a victim and develop feelings of acute anger and injustice around his race. And we see that a lot today, too. Uh, it's the only reason why I bring it up. I mean, I'm, I live in a multiracial house, and because my wife and my children are black, Filipino, and what? Well, my wife's not white, but my kids are all three. And you end up seeing it in their lives and how they're affected by it as well. And there is a lot of injustice because one side believes they're right, the other side believes they're right. And instead of coming into the middle and figuring out how to fix things, you keep this fighting back and forth. And so the polarization continues. So when he faces racist actions in the future, he may get extremely offended towards such behaviors. And a lot of times he's resort to physical and verbal violence in, retali in retaliation <laughs> rather than handling the situation in a calm manner. And we see this constantly. And this pattern of thinking, feeling, and behaving on the behalf of their identity as a separate entity forms the initial stages of your ego. You know, when we're coming out of our ego like that, you're, there's so much pride and self in it. And instead of thinking of others or a way to be calm and cool and work things out, it doesn't work that way. You know, it's just crazy. Um, and this is, this is why I go back to the beginning when I read that poem. Like I said, today's going to be a short one. Um, this is where it's important to be yourself. You know, for many years, many years... Um, as I was growing up and I went through that, uh, I was bullied in school and I, I was the oldest of my brothers and sisters and I had to watch over them and protect them. And, and there were times where I just felt withdrawn. I didn't feel part of my peer group. Um, 
So I did. I, I learned to withdraw. I spent a lot of time by myself in the woods and fishing because and, I, I grew up in upstate New York. Lots of time in the trees, which is beautiful, but at the same time, you want some kind of interaction with friends. And I did have a few, but, you know, not many. And I uh, spent a lot of time by myself and withdrew. So as I got older and I went into the Navy, it was the same thing because that's what I knew. I would get to know some people, but I still never really felt like I was a piece of any particular peer group. And I spent a lot of time with myself. Spent a lot of time drinking. Because <laughs> um, that's how I basically fit in, I guess, a lot of times. But when you do that, you don't really end up having a friendship. You just have these acquaintances and you kind of feel used and abused because you're only there for like... Uh, uh, God, I just lost the thought in my head, comedy, humor, whatever, you know, you're not one of the group, you just, you're there on the outwings, and that's how I felt most of my life until I actually learned, you know, you're not that 10-year-old anymore, you belong wherever you want to belong, those things in the past don't really matter, so... Because you're an adult, you can think for yourself, you have your thoughts, so deal with it, deal with your thoughts, figure out what you can do to excel and be yourself. But the most important thing is to be true to yourself. What do you want? You know, and I, I would think all the time, what do I want to do? What do I want to be? And it seems now that the older I am, and the older I get, uh, it's probably natural with most people. You, you have a tendency of not caring what so, caring so much of what other people think. Um, that's why you see these old people do things, right? Because they do whatever they want. Because what are you going to do to them? They're old, and I'm not that old yet. But um, I see it coming on to where I I, I care less about what others think. And I care more about who I am and what I want to be and what I want to do. And I always say I have no regrets in life, which I don't, but I do have tendencies to say I wish, like, I wish I learned this when I was in my 20s. <laughs> because who knows how life would out, who knows how the outcome of life would have been. But, uh, it's like you said, who knows, right? I mean, my whole life could have been a lot better, could have been a lot worse, because you never know which way the consequences are going to go. But we did what we did, um, and we take these, and if they're problems or if they're challenges or whatever they are, uh, you learn from them. You, you use them as lessons, and you grow. You look inside yourself and say, okay, this is what happened, so what's next? What do I want to do next? How am I going to use this to build upon who I am and 
do what I want to do. And these are the things you have a tendency to think about more and more as you get older, as long as you can get outside your head. Because um, once you're inside your head and your monkey mind goes crazy, you're not thinking about yourself now, and now you're thinking about everything else. What can I do? What can I do to please somebody else? Or what can I do to earn more money? Or what can I do to this? Or what? And you just go crazy, and that's anxiety just goes wonkers, and maybe it pulls you into depression. So you got to get outside your head, get more into your heart, and be your authentic self. Look to who you want to be. Who are you? And how are you going to go forward? And as I said earlier, I mean, it may scare some people away, but that's okay. Because the ones that truly want to be around you are going to be around you. And a lot of times the ones that you don't want to be around you will because they want to ensure that they're getting the the juicy stuff or the right stuff. You know, and... If negative people sometimes are around you, it's because they're not getting what they need from their peer group. So they're going to be listening because even they want to really know the truth. And even they want to know the true you, even if they don't care for you. And that's okay. You know, you just limit your time with them because your time, you can choose how much time you want to be around one person or the other, which is a great thing. So I suggest you find your hobbies or your or your your gifts of whatever creativity or art or whatever you like to do and spend that time alone with yourself and do some introspecting while you do that. You know. I love working out and doing yoga and meditating and reading and sitting listening to music and or whatever, reading poetry. I like my alone time, but I also like having the time with other people. You know, it's ambiverts, what they call that. Um, some people are truly introverts and don't like to be around people at all. And then you got the extroverts who only want to be around people. I'm right in the middle. So... I could be around people, don't want to be the spotlight. I like to be around people and watch and stuff, but then I have to revert back to gain my energy and, you know, just to let it out by doing the things that I want to do. So, polarization, just go back to the topic and just say, watch the polarization. If, if you're just now having kids, watch the labels. Um, try not to label, uh, at least from the from the obvious ones. Uh, teach them critical thinking so that they don't live according to labels. Um, don't tell them one side is better than the other. Let them figure it out, um, no matter what it is. I mean, just give them how both sides think. And that's why it's important to be informed. You know, and and in, in your own life, just start taking a look at that. Like, if you start getting in arguments over things, kind of step back and think, you know, what's this person so passionate about and why? Um, 
I'm not saying you can't believe what you believe and feel that your side is right, but take the other side into consideration so you can understand. And I believe that you'll you'll see that you both pretty much believe in the same ideals and and you have the same goals. It's just you have different ideas of how to get there. And that's great because diversity in life is important because you learn more and you grow more and you can do more with the diversity, especially the diversity of thought. So that's my ideals on polarization. Um, we'll see you again next week. And this was sponsored by the, the vegan joint in Virginia Beach called Culture. Uh, it's a great place for good food, plant-based foods, and other other um, items that you can get from local sales, like you know, sage and teas and paintings and all kinds of things. So stop by this friendly place and just tell them I sent you. You'll really love it and enjoy the atmosphere. Have a great day, and it is a better life. Thank you.